today. Can we give it up for our lead pastors, Pastor Greg and Tamara? Man, South Shore is in the house, Pastor Hector. Man, what about our Plant City campus? Can we give it up for them? Man, I would be remiss if I didn't introduce you to my family, my wife, my Boricua, um, Miss Janice Tucson, and the, the newest addition to our family, Miss Catalina Tucson. So if you're wondering, she does like to have conversations at 4 o'clock in the morning. She's a talkative one in the name of Jesus. If you have your Bibles, um, please go with me to the book of Philemon. So if you have your iPad, your iPhone, your eyeballs, again, if you have an Android, the altar's open. Um, and we'll be at Philemon chapter 1, verse 10, um, and then we'll read from verses 17 through 18, and then we'll go into God's word today, amen? All right, here, read of God's word. I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. So if you consider me your partner, this is verse 17, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owed you anything, charge that to my account. Everyone say, my account. My Let's pray. Father God, help. <laughs> Amen. Amen. So we're in this series entitled, Larger Than Likes. And the reason why we went into this series is because we realized that over 3.46 billion people are currently using some sort of social media network. And we realize that statistics show that from last year to this year, over a million people have joined a social media network. Half of our population are currently using some sort of social media network. And whether we want to admit it or not, we're all after one amazing thing, and it's called a like. You see, social media platforms use likes to drive everything. Man, if you don't believe me, consider this. The last time you went out to eat at a new restaurant, what did you most likely do before you arrived there? You went online and you looked them up, and you looked to see how many people liked that restaurant. If the stars were low, you decided, well, that place isn't good enough for me. Think about it. Everything is based on likes. People are exploited on social media for likes. People are raved about on social media for likes. Matter of fact, Valentine's Day is coming. Some of you may find your next spouse on some sort of social media. Swipe left. Everything is based on likes. Matter of fact, jobs even look at our social media to see if they like us or not. And here is the thing, when you always have to post good things on social media, you get entangled and you feel trapped by your own social media platform. Think about it. Everything that you post has to be good. And God forbid if you were to post something on social media. That's real. God forbid if you were to post what your relationship was really like, what your day was really like. Oh, Lord, the earth may stop if you were to be real just for a moment. Well, I'm here to tell you this main theme today. 
being real is so much better than being light. But with that, I have a truth right behind it. Being light is so much easier than being real. So here today, we're in this book by the name of Philemon. And the book of Philemon is a short book, one chapter, snugged right into the, the New Testament. And this book doesn't have the most epic murdering scenes. It doesn't have any battles. It doesn't have any adultery, any fornication. It doesn't have all the things that we like. But it has some things that are real. This has the most amazing story of forgiveness and restoration that we have seen all throughout Scripture. There are three characters in this book. There's Paul, there's really Philemon, and there's this brother. He's a slave by the name of Onesimus. Now we hear why we don't hear about this book that often. And in this book, something amazing is about to happen. Man, we're about to get real. Can we get real today, church? Man, South Shore, Plant City, I hope you hear me. Man, I'm about to get real. You know what? I'm going to kick this thing off. Let me tell you about the time that I almost messed up Valentine's Day. We're being real. I'm, I'm starting. I remember like it was yesterday, church. My wife and I just got married. You see, we got married in September, and now it's the next year over. So this is our first Valentine's Day as a married couple. And I was determined that I was not going to mess this up. Because as you all know, there's no time like the first time. So I did what every aspiring young lover would do when he doesn't want to mess up his first Valentine's Day with his wife. I Googled, what should I do for the first <laughs> Valentine's Day with my wife? Sorry, guys, I gave up our secret. And I found some things on Google, and I said, man... The men on Google might have done this, but I'm going to perfect it. You see, I woke up that day knowing it was Valentine's Day, so I looked over at my wife and I kissed her and said, babe, your breath smells like roses. <laughs> All throughout the day, she's like, babe, what are we doing tonight? I said, oh, don't worry about it, baby. Your man got this. It's a surprise. You see, I wanted the tension to build all day. So later on that evening, I took my car out. I got my car clean, got the inside detail. I went and got my favorite car air freshener, my car Renato Cherry. I popped that thing open, my car smelling mm-mm good. <laughs> Before I got home, I stopped at my favorite grocery store, Publix, where shopping is a pleasure. Come on, somebody. <laughs> and I got my roses. But I said, wait, but everybody get roses? It's my first one. I got to go above and beyond. So I decided to write a note for every rose that there was. And I got the first one and I said, babe, man, like this rose, you may have thorns, but I'd rather be pricked by you than anybody else. <laughs> I got my poetic nature on and I said, you know what? Roses are red, violets are blue. There are other women in the world, but none of them are like you. Hey, that's original, y'all. You can have it. You can have it. 
So here I am, and I picked her up, and I, I went to the door, and I rang the doorbell of my own house, and I opened the door, walked her out to the car, opened the car door, put the roses on the seat with the cards, so the first thing she'll see is what I have done for her. Guys, I am winning. <laughs> she sat down in the car, pulled out her cell phone, took a picture of the roses, took a picture of us. Oh, Lord, yes, she did. She posted it on social media. And anybody who's in a relationship would know exactly what happens next. Man, the devil came in my Valentine's Day, and we got into a major argument in the car. I'm talking about we going at it. All this work I put in is being lost right on the ride to the restaurant that I booked two weeks earlier. I mean, we're doing the three S's. We're screaming, we're shouting, and we're scarring. You know the scarring when you're saying things that you really shouldn't say and you know that you're going to pay for it later? Man, we're going in. It got so bad. No, I'm, I'm just being real. I'm not worried about being like right now. I'm being real. It was so bad that my wife was looking out the window. She wasn't even looking at me. And I looked at her and said, well, I hope you find something out there. <laughs> I mean, it was bad. And we got to the point of the car ride where, man, no more words could be spoken. It was just what? Silent. Oh, you know that drill. And I guess when she posted to social media, there might have been a delay. All of a sudden, my phone buzzed. I picked up my phone, and it says, you were tagged by Janice Tucson. So I'm like, tell me what this woman didn't post about me, man. And I, I opened my phone and went to social media, and, and she showed the roses. And she showed a picture of us together in the car. And the, the caption said, oh, this man of God, that I'm so happy the Lord sent him into my life. I wouldn't rather spend Valentine's Day with anybody else but him. You see, social media showed a man killing it for Valentine's Day. But the car had a real depiction of a man that was literally killing it on Valentine's Day. What you see isn't always what you get. To make matters worse, when we got to the restaurant, we got out of the car and saw somebody that we knew. And do you think we told them that we're arguing? No. Man, we stepped out of that car. Is that Pastor Richard? Hey, brother in the Lord, how you doing? Pastor, how you doing? Man, I'm blessed. Man, I'm blessed and highly favored. Sister Janice, how you doing? Man, I'm too stressed to be blessed. If I was any better, I'd be dead. And why are you laughing at me, man? I dare to believe that there were some of you that before you even stepped onto the church parking lot, man, you had an argument in the car. Some of you couldn't even make it out the house without arguing. If I can be real, some of you looked at your spouse this morning and said, man, you're the reason why we're going to be late to church today. Man, you know church only lasts about an hour and 15 minutes. We're going to miss half of worship. We had a choice to make. Man, are we going to stay mad at each other or are we going to reconcile? And later on that day, I don't know how my father ended up in my Valentine's Day story. It's so awkward. But we bumped into my dad somehow, some way. 
And I just remember my dad looking at us and realizing that something wasn't right. He said, son, is everything good with you and Janice? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Pops, you should know, you should have heard what I did for Valentine's Day. What would you do for mom? I'm trying to deflect. And it was almost like my dad saw through my soul. He said, son, I'm not trying to get in your business. And I know you're a grown man now. You're married. You don't, you don't have to listen to me if you don't want to. But let me tell you something. If I were you, whatever it is that you're arguing about, I would ask my wife for forgiveness because what you're going to build with that woman is nothing in comparison to what's going on right now. Man, I listened to my father, but before I did, I told him, I said, you know what, Dad, if we were arguing, <laughs> I would take that under consideration. Not saying that we are, but if we were. I went back and apologized to my wife, and man, you know how it goes, folks. Man, I had one of the best Valentine's Day evening in the entire world. <laughs> Selah, let God be praised. But here it is, and the three stories in this book, that's exactly what's happening. You have the Apostle Paul, and this book is really broken down into three categories, technically four, but I'm touching three today. The first one is the address. Who is this letter actually written to? That's around verses one to three. Um, the second part is the affirmation. Paul is going to butter up Philemon, the person who he's writing this to. Anybody here have kids? You know, whenever your kids want something, they butter you up real nice. You know, they walk in the room. Hey, mom, have you done something new with your hair? Oh, amazing. Dad, have you lost weight? My goodness. And you're looking at them like, what do you want, right? And then the last part of this, around 8 through 21, is really the ask. The reason why he's writing the letter to begin with. So Paul starts with the, with, with the appeal. He starts with the address, and he's like, hey, my name is Paul, and I am a prisoner for Christ. And there are three vantage views of this passage. And the first vantage view we're going to look at is Paul. This is a brother who, who pushed off carpal tunnel long enough so that he can pick up a pen to write something to some sons he has in the faith. And this brother here, Paul, is acquainted with grief. He's acquainted with what it means to be forgiven, and he also knows what it means to be ridiculed. Now, let me remind you, do you know who the apostle Paul is? Paul was a Pharisee, and the Pharisees were the ones that were really responsible for Christ being crucified. Yes, the Romans were the one that crucified him, but remember, the Pharisees were the one that came up with the false allegations to get Christ in court to begin with. You remember when the first martyr of Scripture, Stephen, got killed? They were throwing their coats at Brother Paul so that he would give them forgiveness, but Paul turned his blind eye. Paul was the one that went into home and ravaged Christians, pulled them out and killed them. This man was a beast. Paul was horrible, but then the Lord opened his eyes and he received forgiveness. And then not only that, he was brought into the fold with the disciples. And when he showed up, Paul experienced what it felt like to have a reputation. You know what that feels like when you show up something, but everyone knows you for what you did and not who you are. He knew what that felt like, but this brother by the name of Barnabas said, hey, man, I vouch for this brother. He is good. He is not like what he used to be. So here is Paul now in his old age. A couple years later, he's going to pen his famous words in 2 Timothy chapter 4, for I have fought the good fight, I have kept the race, and I have finished my course. In a couple years, he's about to die. But before he goes, he takes this moment to be real. 
And he looks and he says, man, although I'm in chains, I'm not going to disregard my calling. Some of y'all missed that. Although what you're going through is inconvenient, don't let that disregard the calling that God has placed on your life. You see, here is the irony in this story. There is somebody who is free internally but chained externally, writing to someone who is free externally but may be bound internally. You see, every element and every character in this story is bound to something. Man, what are you chained to? What are you, what are you chained to? So Paul is taking the opportunity right now to write some things. And what I love about Paul and what I want you to get about Paul, that just because you're going through conflict, it doesn't mean that it's not from Christ. Because he opens up and say, Paul, a prisoner for Christ. That in the middle of his confinement, he was actually winning people for Christ. So just because I'm not comfortable, it doesn't mean I can't work for Christ. I mean, I could shut the Bible right there and go home. That's, that's a good word, Pastor. So here he is, and Paul is using these words, and what Paul is trying to say to Philemon is, hey, man, if I can obey God in my chains, maybe you can obey God in your freedom. So here he is, and man, he's writing this letter, and he is sitting there, and Paul knows that he has to be very interesting because, you see, the thing is, Paul has the ability to command Philemon to free him or to forgive him because Paul is the one who actually led Philemon to the Lord. So according to honor, it's like, hey, man, you owe me your life. I've, I've given you life in Christ. I can ask you for really anything. But Paul is saying, you know what? A loving appeal sometimes is better than an authoritative command. See, it's not always about what you do. It's about how you do it. And Paul is being really particular about how he writes to this person to forgive somebody else. And there is, I, I really believe this, man. I really believe that there are some older folks in this church who've been married for 30, 40 years who need to get next to some younger folks who've been married for about two to three years, and I know they look like they have it all together, but we all know the truth. You're struggling. Man, I wish that there were some men who, who knew some things, who ran away for some things, who had some reputation, would come and grab somebody and say, you know what? Men, your feet aren't meant for running all the days of your life. Man, I wish there were some women in this house that would grab some younger women who were worried and say, you know what, I don't like the way how I look. I wish there were some older women with some beautiful wrinkles who would say, hey, do you see these wrinkles? Daughter, beauty fades, but the woman who cherishes the Lord, a woman who serves the Lord, a woman who magnifies the Lord is worthy to be praised. Man, I wish we can get real today. Being real is so much greater than being right. See, that's the vantage point of Paul. 
But there is this brother by the name of Onesimus. You see, Onesimus was a slave. And I said, Lord, I'm not going to lie. I feel a little uncomfortable talking about this. It's Black History Month, slavery. I'm in the West. It's kind of awkward. And the Lord said, Nah, Richard, I want you to look deeper. What did Onesimus do? Well, Lord, Onesimus ran away. He said, Richard, that's it. There may be some people coming to hear you preach, and here's the truth about them. They are running away for some things in their life. They are running away. He said, look some more. What, what was Onesimus? He was a slave. And he said, ah, don't miss that. There are some people listening to you right now that they are a slave to things. There are things in their life that they are enslaved to. So if they are running away from things and if they're enslaved to things, the people listening to you, they all might be runaway slaves just like Onesimus. And here is the thing. Man, what are you running from? What has enslaved you? Is it a past reputation? Is it running away from a relationship? Is it, is it running away from commitment? What have enslaved you? Man, Lifeway did this thing and realized, it made me realize, even our kids are running away. There was a statistic that said 75% of kids that were raised in the Christian church, 75% of them will walk away a year after they graduate high school. And one in three of that 75% will come back home. Man, our kids are running away from the gospel, running away from Christ. The same organization did a survey that said 50% of Christian marriages end in divorce. We are running away from commitment. Man, we're running away from a lot of things. So we, in essence, we're embodying Onesimus. We're running and we're running and we're running away. But just like Onesimus, we're running away from something, but we're going to run into a savior. Onesimus goes to Rome to run away, but he ends up through God's providential grace, his sovereignty. He ends up running into Paul, the same person who led his master to the Lord. Now, isn't it ironic how Christ worked? Man, you have a problem with one person. But then you run into somebody else, and that person is owed a favor by the person that you don't like, but then that person brings you all together in God. Isn't that amazing how God works out his grace? So here he is. He's running away, but Paul tells him something. I'm writing this letter, and you have to take it back to your master. Because I want you to confront him, and I want him to forgive you. And here is something that Paul has shown me, and, and this brother is about to walk out. It is so much easier to ignore conflict than to initiate confrontation. It is so much easier to ignore conflict than to initiate confrontation. Man, Onesimus could have been like, nah, Paul, I'm good. I'm serving you. Can I just stay here? 
Can we talk about that? Can I not go back to the place where they know me as something else? And that's what a lot of us is running from today. We are completely different than the person that ran away, but we have to go back to people who look at us as the thing that we were changed from. So he's going to come back, a saved person, and he's going to be like, hey, you stole from me. Well, I don't steal anymore. Man, you've wronged me. Man, the Lord has changed my heart. Man, you're no different than you were. Yes, I was. And now you have to validate yourself to somebody that you've wronged and it's hard work. And he's saying, can I just stay here? And here's the truth, church. We can't stay here. And Paul sees this. And Paul is reminded that who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? Man, he that has a clean hand and a pure heart. But man, what if my master afflicts me? Hey, remember Romans? For I reckon that this momentary affliction is nothing in comparison to the glory that be revealed in us through Christ Jesus. That even though doing the hard thing gets us afflicted, man, God was afflicted for us. So here, like many of you today, you're going to face a decision. You're going to be that runaway slave that you say, am I ready? Forget that. Am I willing to leave the comfort of my new identity to face the person that I was? Man, we're runaway slaves. We're running. We're running from our identity. We're running away from our calling. We're running. And here's the amazing part about this letter. When Paul writes about Onesimus and coming back, he tells Philemon, hey, when Onesimus was with you, he was useless to you. But now he is coming back. He's useful for you. And you see, what Paul is doing is he's, he's playing a little word game, right? The word, his name Onesimus actually means useful. So he's using his name as sort of like a double entendre to say, hey, this brother, he's good for it now. And the Lord wants me to tell some of you, man, back in the past, there were some things that you might have been useless at. But now... Man, you've been saved. You've been redeemed. You've been blood-bought. You know some things. Man, you are useful. You can go back to where you came from and affect change in ways you could not have beforehand. Let me tell you a story, man. You may have heard me tell this story before. When I was in middle school, everything bad happens in middle school, okay? I guess my, my parents didn't buy me some Nike shorts. I wish they did. They didn't. They bought me some cheap snap-off shorts. No offense to my parents, but they did. And the snap-off shorts, it had buttons on each side of the pants. And there were two bullies in school, one to my left, one to my right. And there was this girl in middle school that I was madly in love with. It was before my Boricua came, right? Before her. Um, before the Puerto Rican. BP. And I'm not going to say her name because she might be watching. But I was madly in love with her in middle school. And, hey, I know you loved the middle school, but your love wasn't like mine. I mean, I bought her candy every day. That 25 cent, man, that was important. 
And here I was in PE class, and the two bullies ran one on each side, and I was the last one coming out, and they snapped my shorts off in front of the entire gym, and there I was in my tidy whities And everybody was laughing at me, and the woman that I was madly in love with just stared at me and my tidy whities You see, but what came next? Wait a minute, let's back up. Y'all are laughing at me. I'm happy I'm over this. Like, that would have scarred my heart. I'm... I'm happy I went through freedom, Pastor Fiona. This would have been bad. But we being real, right? So after it happened, I told myself, I'm never going to let anybody do that to me again. I said, the next time I see them, I'm going to have something for them. I'm going to lay some holy hands on them. And with the right hand of fellowship, I'm going to lift them on high so they can see Jesus. You know what? Maybe it's still in my heart. My bad, my bad, my bad. Maybe ain't all the way out yet. And I had a look in my eyes. And I don't know. I know you guys have been saved for a while. You're, you're redeemed. You're, you're too blessed to be stressed. You're all these things. And I, I know you're a new creation now, but I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. You have that look of fire in your eyes. It's, it's like the eye of the tiger, the thrill of the fight. You are ready to do some things. And the school resource officer saw that look in my eyes, and she came up to me and said, son, I'm not your mother, but if I was, I would tell you, don't repay evil for evil. And I'm like, nah, you don't understand. She's like, yes, I do understand. If you continue this path, he's going to lead you to an early grave, son. And I looked at her and said, but you don't know what they did to me. She says, you're right, but God knows what they did to you. Let God repay them. I want you to forgive them and restore your own heart. Fast forward 20 years later, my wife and I took her out on a date, date night, and we saw this school resource officer. And I said, hey, babe, that's my school resource officer from middle school. And man, she was on post, badge, locked and loaded on both sides. Oh, that's a bad woman there. And I said, I wonder if she'll remember me. So we were walking up to her. She looks at me and says, Richard Toussaint. My wife said, you must have been bad. So I walk up to her, and I'm like, this is my wife. She's like, oh, you have such a beautiful wife. Show her my family. She's like, I'm so happy you turned out this good. And my wife was like, yep, you were definitely bad. But she said, absolutely not. He wasn't bad at all. Matter of fact, he was this young, shy kid, and he said, yes, ma'am, and he said, no, ma'am, and he opened the door for people. But then one day, something bad happened, and I prayed that his heart wouldn't change. I prayed that he would not let that one moment define who he was, and I'm so happy to see that he is a pastor now with a beautiful family. And I am here to let somebody know that that 10 second, that 15 second that somebody took to speak into my life literally changed me, and I also want you to know don't let that one moment of your life define you and who you are. Don't let it define you. Don't let it do it. Forgive and restore. And now we go on to the last character in here. And this brother, his name is Philemon. He was the one that the letter was actually addressed to. You see, he is a son of Paul. We always hear about Timothy being a son of Paul, but Timothy gets all the shine. Philemon is also a son of Paul, 
Paul led him to the Lord. During one of Paul's um, tense revivals, as we'll call it, it was speculated that Paul went to Ephesus, where the book of Ephesians come from. And there was a small town named Colossae, where the book of Colossians come from. And this brother came from Colossae to this, re- this meeting, and he met Paul, and Paul led him to the Lord, and he became Paul's son in the faith. And then the cool part about him is he's actually a Roman superior. This brother has a lot of money. And this is how you know when you're doing ministry right, when you're able to reach the rich and the slave at the same time, when you're able to have a relationship with the rich and the poor and maintain your fidelity and maintain your integrity in the process. You don't change based on whom you're talking to. You remain the same person whether they have it or they don't. Come on, somebody. So here he is. We have Philemon, and the reason why Philemon is so important is because he has a church in his home. You see, during those times, we didn't have all this. There wasn't any buildings with beautiful lights. There wasn't all this gathering because you will be found out by Rome and you will be killed. So the the church literally met in what we now know as life groups. They met in homes. But the crazy part is during that time, a lot of believers were actually slaves or poor. So sometimes the Lord brought somebody very wealthy into the faith so they can fund the things of the gospel. And this brother was funding the gospel. He had a church in his home. So this one goes out to all the life group leaders. This one goes out to all the leaders. This one goes out to all the pastors and whatever title you put in yourself. This one is for you. Philemon is a vantage point specifically for you. You are a person of influence. But guess what? There's something wrong in your own house. You're a person of influence, but one of your slaves ran away. You're having a life group where people are coming to your home, but somebody is leaving your home. Man, this may speak to a a young child that you may have, a rebellious teenager, that you're like, I don't know what happened. I don't know why she's acting this way. I don't know why he's acting this way. But I have uh, an authority about me, so I can't post it on social media. Oh, as people won't like me, so I have to come up with this facade. But inside my own house, there is something going on. You're Philemon. And what Paul is saying is, I'm sending somebody to you that I need you to forgive. And I expect you to forgive them because it is a lot easier to forgive when you have been forgiven. You missed that. It's a lot easier to forgive when you have been forgiven. He's like, so Philemon, I'm I'm sending this brother to you. And Paul draws this beautiful analogy of what it means to be in the faith. Paul says, I want you to forgive them not because of the goodness of your heart or your reputation or anything else. I want you to forgive them because of Christ. Matter of fact, I'm putting my name on the line, and I want you to forgive them because of me. Now, mom said, don't sign for anybody's stuff. Don't co-sign for anybody's credit. You ever heard that? Don't put your name on the line for anybody else. But Paul is doing this for this brother. And isn't this going against social media? Have you ever seen a social media post where someone said something they shouldn't, and there's like a thousand comments of people arguing? Some of you were involved in that this week, right? 
And what do we do whenever we don't like somebody on our social media? Social media gives something that we can do. We block them. And then we Christianize it by saying, I don't need that negativity in my feed. I, I need all positivity right here. I, I, I rebuke that evilness in the name of Jesus. I don't want you on my Facebook, my Instagram, my Snapchat, my TikTok. I don't need you on any of that. But what the Bible is saying, instead of throwing people away, we need to reconcile with somebody. The book of Philemon is the only book written by Paul that does not explicitly state about the death the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. However, those three things are deeply embedded in the book. Let me show you. Philemon, Onesimus had to deliver this letter to Philemon. So can you imagine that day? That time had passed. But like many of you, when the person who got you mad or offended you way back in the past, you thought you were fine until you saw them again, and then it all came up again like it never... Okay, so he sees Onesimus coming from the distance. And I can imagine that because he had a church in his house, man, maybe there were people in his home. And he's trying to figure out, how am I going to handle this? Am I going to save face so I can be liked? Or am I going to really give this brother what he deserves? Because according to Roman law, he had the right to kill, not just kill, crucify this brother for running away from him. And I can imagine him seeing him from a distance saying, go get that boy. And when he came back, I can imagine Onesimus handing him a letter. And when Philemon opened the letter, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ, I appeal to you, could you forgive this brother? Because you have been forgiven. Not of anything that he has done, because what Christ has done. Matter of fact, if you value me and my relationship with you, I want you to forgive him. And here is what Paul is saying in this letter. You are my son. He is also my son. So if you are my son in the faith, and he's my son in the faith, he, you can be his slave owner. You have to be his brother. You see, he is no longer your slave. He's your brother. Because in the kingdom of God, there's neither slave nor free, just children of God. And I want you to look at this amazing picture does this sound like something that somebody else does? You see, Paul stands in the middle between two characters. One person who did something deserving of death. And another person who has the authority to give death or provide life. And Paul stands in the direct middle and Paul says, because of me, because of our relationship, I want you to bypass this debt and give him life. Who does that sound like? No other than Jesus Christ. You see, you are that runaway slave. You ran away for you were dead in your sins and your trespasses and you were doing nothing worthy for the gospel. And God stood in his eternal glory and his righteousness and he looked and said, you are deserving of death. But Jesus said, wait, Lord, let me go and stand in his place. So Jesus came down to earth and with one hand, he held you the sinner and with the other hand he held God the righteous and whenever God has to look over to you he sees his son first so therefore you're not just a slave anymore but now you're co-heirs with Christ you are his brother so your debt is paid because of him it's the gospel 
Jesus standing in the middle. Jesus standing in the gap for a slave like us. And we are now co-heirs with Christ. And we're being forgiven not because of who we are, but because of what he did. So here's the question. Are you willing to do for others what Christ has already done for you? Are you willing to stand in the middle and hold hands and say, man, I I have a right not to forgive you. What you did to me was horrible. But I'm going to forgive you not because you deserve it, but I'm going to forgive you because Christ forgave me. Church, I believe some of you are going to make a decision today. A decision has been haunting you. Man, something that you've been running from. An identity you've been straying from. And God is saying, man, today, today, my Onesimus, man, can I hold your hand and send you back with that letter of recommendation for life? You see, in the Bible, there are two times where we see somebody bringing a letter somewhere to someone that has authority of life and death. The first time was with David when he gave Uriah a letter to put him on a front line so he can have his own death certificate. And now in the New Testament, we're seeing the antithesis of this. We're seeing somebody not coming with a letter of death, but with a letter of life. And today, you have the same letter of life in your hands. First off, I would like to lead you in a prayer. The Bible says in the book of Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10, If you confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you are saved. With the mouth you confess and with the heart you believe. So the prayer that I'm about to lead you into, the prayer isn't some magic trick that you say it and you're good all of a sudden. It is the belief in the one in whom you're praying to that saves you. So you don't have to scream it, but I want you to say it like you mean it. Everyone repeat this after me. Heavenly Father, I confess that I am a sinner. In need of a Savior. Save me. With all heads bowed and eyes closed. If you said that prayer for the first time, giving the Lord your life, saying, I'm surrendering my old person, and today I'm waking up new to walk in the newness of life. If that's you, on the count of three, I would like you to raise your hand. All over our campuses. One, two, three. If that's you, raise your hand today. That's you, raise your hand today. I see you in the name of Jesus. I see you. I see you. I see you. I see you. Church, can we give it up for God is doing an amazing work in our midst. Man, at this time, if we can, if you're able to, can we all stand? Man, this next part is, it's almost as equally as important as the first. Man, there is a party going on in heaven right now. But right here in my midst, I... Man, I pray today that we would get real with ourselves and real with God. And here's what I'm asking. Man, there are some of you who are currently bonded. You're in bondage to some things, enslaved to some things. There's unforgiveness. There's all these things in your life. And God is saying, hey, guess what? I'm standing here. You don't have to go back the way that you came. That does not define you anymore in my kingdom. And here's what you can do today. You say, Pastor, man, there are some people that I have to forgive, but I don't know if I have the strength to do it. 
Man, I want you to do for others what Christ has done for you. So the first altar call, if you're in here today and you say, you know what, Pastor? Man, there's some people that I need to forgive and I need the strength. Can you pray for me? On the count of three, I want you to come down to the front. If that's you, one, two, three, come down right now. Come down right now. I see you in the name of Jesus. Man, I see you moving. I see you moving. I see you moving. Man, let's get real today. I see you moving. Is there anybody else? I see you coming from the bleachers. Now, here's the trap of the enemy. Man, there's a lot of people here. What if they, now don't worry about being liked. Worry about being real. Man, is there anybody else? Pastor, man, there's some things. Man, I don't know how I can do it. And you're right, forgiveness is very hard. Forgiveness and restoration is one of the hardest things that you can do. But through Christ, you can do all things because he strengthens you. Is there anybody else? I see you coming out of the seats. Is there anybody else? I see you. I see you. I see you. Here's the next one. Man, Pastor, I've been running for some things. I've been enslaved to some things. And I need to break free right now. If that's you, on the count of three, come down. One, two, three, come down. God is doing the work. God is doing the work. God is doing the work. Amen. 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 Man, we see you coming. We see you coming. We see you coming. We see you coming. Man. I love it when we see sons with their fathers arm in arm walking down. Man, we see you coming. Is there anybody else? God is doing such a wonderful thing right now. Man, it's hard to forgive. I feel, I feel enslaved. Man, there's more. I can feel it in my heart. Man, you're running away. You're a runaway slave. And God is saying, man, you are useful for things. Don't let what you did define you. It's not who you are. Let me define you. Let me write my name on your heart. Let me be the one that gives you the... Is there anybody else? Anybody else? Let's pray. Father God, man, you are love. You are truth. You are peace. There is no one else that is like you. Lord, you don't judge us for who we are because in your kingdom you see as clean as you see your son for we are no longer slaves to sin sin is not our master you are our master and we are a slave unto Christ we gladly give you our life so that we can live an abundant life under your grace for you empower us to do all things. You empower us to righteousness. You empower us to freedom. You empower us to love. You empower us to provide grace. You empower us to do immeasurably and abundantly above all that we can ask or imagine because you are a great God. Today, we're not asking for riches. We're not asking for wealth. We're asking for your love to be able to forgive. We're just asking for your image to look and act like you. That's all we want today, Jesus. We just want to look like our Father. We want to speak like our Father. We want to act like our Father. So, Lord, let the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart be acceptable in your sight, our Lord and our Redeemer. Now unto the King who is eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God. To him be the honor. To him be the glory. To him be the power, dominion, now and forevermore. And the people of God say amen. amen. I love you, church.